0: We're going to continue studying through the book of Colossians this morning. So we're going to be in Colossians. It's taken us three of our six weeks in this series just to get through chapter one. Colossians chapter one lays the foundation, but this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter two, and it gets into the purpose of the letter. In Colossians two, the purpose of the letter is this battle of worldviews. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Colossians 2, and we're going to read here in just a moment, verses 4 through 23, the entire rest of Colossians chapter 2. Now, you'll notice there are four chapters in the book of Colossians. Uh, we're spending six weeks in the study, and so the first three weeks have been on chapter one. We're going to spend a week on chapter two, and then the last two weeks we'll kind of be on three and four together. It moves much quicker now that we're out of chapter one, and there's a reason why I've intentionally spent so much time on chapter one. It's because chapter one lays a foundation for the purpose of why Paul is writing, This morning's message is going to hit on what we talked about a few weeks ago on the purpose of the letter. That is, there's this clashing of worldviews in the Colossian church, something we can relate on. You can call it left or right. You can make it political if you want. You can call it legalistic or licentiousness. Whatever you want to label it, I'll let you label however you desire. But what we see is a pull within the church. There are some saying you can be as free as you want and worship however you want and whoever you want. And there are some that are saying, no, your worship must be so strict and tied down to a specific manner that there's no freedom of change whatsoever. And I feel very much like, like 2020 has magnified this in our country this polar opposite sides in way of thinking. And can I tell you, it's not just been the culture, it's divided the church we've seen even brothers and sisters in Christ who have competing worldview ideas. Now, they're not exactly the same worldview ideas of what we're going to read about here in chapter 2, but it's the same principle on how to deal with them. Right? It's the same idea on exactly what we're supposed to be doing as brothers and sisters in Christ. The same warnings apply to us. But chapter 1, chapter 1 focuses not on the issue of the worldviews, but on the supremacy of Christ in the gospel. And I think that is so important for us to remember before we look at chapter 2. The first part of chapter 1 really honed in on this idea that the gospel has these benefits for your eternal salvation. They do something in you and change you and and they're worthy to follow because the gospel changes our lives. And then we looked at a a section on Christ in this beautiful hymn that said, Christ is above all. His gospel is superior because Christ is superior. He's greater than all of creation because he's created all things. And then last week we applied that when Paul says, that's why we can suffer well because it's worth it. Look how amazing Christ is. And in our suffering, we can endure all things because of the beauty of the gospel. In chapter 1, just Paul shoves down our throats, the gospel is perfect. Christ is above all he is worthy of our attention, and he's worthy of our worship. So before Paul can get into the purpose, he has to remind us of the gospel message, and that's what I want to start this morning's message off. We spent three weeks talking about the beauty of the gospel, and this morning we would be, we would be doing a disservice to the reading of scripture if we forgot that foundation that Paul has laid. We're going to get into his purpose, this battle of these two different worldviews, but But let us keep in the back of our mind, the gospel is greater than any worldview presented by the culture. The gospel of Jesus Christ supersedes and triumphs over any division that we may have. So let's read together Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4 and make our way through the rest of chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 starting in verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, before we even move on to the next verse, Paul is connecting the first chapter. I say this. What is he saying? Everything about the beauty of the gospel. How amazing Christ is. I say this foundational chapter to you so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Don't forget the gospel message. Reading on. For though I'm absent in body... Yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see you, uh, to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Jesus Christ the Lord, the gospel, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now we're going to see one of the worldviews. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who was raised from the dead. And you who were raised in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgotten all uh, uh, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this set aside he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So before we read on, our first worldview problem was all the way at the beginning before he went on a tangent was there are some who are trying to deceive you with philosophy and reasoning of mind, trying to tell you that it's okay that you can believe whatever you want to believe and still be a Christian. You can worship whoever you want to worship and be a Christian. These philosophies were, let's think through this logically, and let's worship logic and reason and other gods and other deities and combine them in. So the first worldview is, you're free to worship however and whoever you want The second worldview that's presented then says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Our second worldview was the opposite. Not the freedom to worship anything, but the restriction to worship in a certain way, to eat certain foods, to drink certain things, to to celebrate certain festivals and events and Sabbaths and new moons. So the other opposite extreme of you can worship however you want is, no, you have to worship in this specific and particular way. It's a competing worldview. Paul goes on to write, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body Nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. Why do you have all these rules? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulging of the flesh. So there are two rival worldviews that the church is fighting with. One is reason and logic says that you can worship however you want. Include all of your other gods. It's fine. It makes sense to us. The other is, not only do you have to get rid of all your other gods, but you have to worship, and particularly what Paul is is writing against is you have to worship just like a Jewish person would have worshipped. You have to follow all of those Old Testament rules, all of those Old Testament laws, pay attention to what you eat and what you drink, which festivals you celebrate, make sure you discipline your body so strictly that you don't fall into any temptation at all. There's a fight between licentiousness, and legalism. I think that that's somewhere where our church struggles with even 2,000 years later, right? How much are we to restrict ourselves and how free can we be? How how strict do we have to be with our practices and how loose can we be with our practices? I, I think the pandemic has brought out exactly where many people lie in this balance, just this past week, I was, I was almost saddened to read a post of, of someone I'm, I'd say, fairly close with. They had written at their church, not in our state, in a different area, that their church pastor had posted something along the lines of, if you are not gathering together in person, or you are still doing online services, then your pastor is weak, and he's not standing on the word of God, and you should look to fire him. That's the exact, not the exact post, but the exact idea of the post. I was broken hearted. But we've got people at home right now watching this stream because health-wise, they cannot physically be here. I can give you names of people who it would be dangerous for them to to go to Walmart. It would be dangerous for them to to get out and be around people. And, And so we, through the grace of God, are offering them a digital media. We've got some who who choose to to separate downstairs and worship with us, and I'm so thankful we have the opportunity to to gather together in some sort, but they're not ready or comfortable or healthy enough to to gather among other people. There's this pull of, you have to meet in person, and if you don't meet in person, then you're a horrible individual. Or or this other pull of some churches who have decided they're not even going to try to meet together. They don't even care about gathering. They're going to continue streaming, and and I've even heard of a few churches who have decided that this online thing is working so well, that's where they're focusing their attention from now on, and and they're going to sell their church building and do it online. We can worship wherever, however. Isn't it nice to be in your PJs and kick back and and just relax on your couch and turn on the television? Where's the balance in there, right? Right? of you have to gather together and you never have to gather together. Where's the in-between? Where's the difference between the, the freedom and the, the requirement? We're fighting this even now today in our own church, in how we worship. Not just with a pandemic, but, but how are you supposed to dress? How fancy do you need to, to wear your clothing? Right? I think you guys can tell where I fall on that, that scale. I'm wearing a polo t-shirt this morning, not a suit and tie. There are previous pastors of this church who wore suits and ties Monday through Friday when they were here at church, right? There are some pastors who still preach in in very formal attire, right? What's right and what's wrong? Where does the balance lie? What about the songs that we sing? Is it okay to sing new songs? Should we sing old songs? Should we sing new songs in an old way or old songs in a new way? Should we put them on the screen or should we print them out for you? Should they be in a book? What's the right way to do it? Or how about this? It's just something simple as passing the offering plate. Do you pass an offering plate? Do you put a box on the wall? What about when the pandemic's over? Does the offering plate distract from worship? Does the offering plate add to worship? What about how we take the Lord's Supper? Do you take it monthly or weekly? Do you take it quarterly? How do you take the Lord's Supper? Do you do you have actual wine or do you have juice? I've had several people ask me who are non-believers, do you serve wine during communion? I might show up that Sunday morning, you know. Um, We serve grape juice, okay, just so you know. But there are some churches who are adamant. Jesus served wine. We're serving wine. What's the right thing to do? Do you have a square cracker or a round cracker? All of these are questions that we fight over. Like, what do you do? This morning, we can put ourselves in the position of the Colossian church and understand it's a tough balance to find. What's right and what's wrong. What we can conclude is the two extremes are wrong. And Paul says that. The two extremes are dangerous. We need to avoid being so free that we we lose the gospel. Paul spends the whole first chapter reminding us of the gospel. The second extreme is wrong too because we can lose the gospel when we focus on rules. And so this morning, we're going to look at some principles on how we as individuals can look at these combative worldviews and live faithfully to that gospel message. The first thing Paul's going to tell us is this. Walk in faith. Walk in faith. I'm going to go ahead and read for you how Paul begins this section in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you received that gospel message, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving Paul says just as you heard the gospel message live your life in that gospel you know the biggest problem with Christianity and its spread has nothing to do with the culture it has nothing to do with with how the culture is trying to push God out it has everything to do with Christians who don't live like Christians I think the biggest problem with the spread of Christianity is not that Satan is present in the world. He's always been there. The biggest problem is that Satan has learned how to make Christians look like the rest of the world. Just do the things that you've always done. Just be how everyone else is. Go with the flow and don't ruffle feathers. Don't live in the gospel. Live in the comfort of the culture and put the gospel as a bumper sticker on the back of your car. Paul says, I spent a whole chapter telling you that Christ is greater why don't you treat him like he's greater? I spent a whole chapter telling you that, that he created all things and controls all things. Why don't you let him control your life? The, the hardest thing for me to hear is I don't want to go to church. is full of hypocrites because I have to bow my head and go guilty. Right? I, I'm, I'm that way often. I, I know that I, I sin and I fall and, and we're imperfect people. And, and I don't always walk in faith. Instead I, I hear the gospel message, I promote the gospel message, but when the, the gospel message meets and intersects life, I I cower away and I say, Okay, I'm gonna go with the flow. And the church sees or the, the culture sees a church that is exactly like the world. It's not appealing. No. Paul says you received Jesus Christ the Lord. Walk in him. Let your life match what the Word of God says. Let your life reflect the gospel that you want to promote. By the way, lifestyle evangelism, that is, I'm going to live the way I want to live and people will see the gospel of Christ, does not ultimately save anyone. But lifestyle evangelism, I'm going to live according to the word of God and let people see, leads to gospel conversations in ways that nothing else will. How you live your life is the front door to the gospel. What people see in you is the first step in them hearing the gospel message. They need to know that something has changed in you. So the first thing Paul tells us to do is walk in faith. Walk and live out exactly how the gospel has told you to live. But secondly, not only do we walk in faith, he says walk in understanding. So if you're like me, you hear very churchy phrases like walk in faith, and you immediately think, I I have no clue what that looks like, right? I, I know what the Bible says in, in some areas. I know that I'm supposed to uh, know the stories that I learned in Sunday school. And, and, okay, I need to believe in creation instead of evolution. And, and maybe I need to make sure that I don't curse or say too many bad words, right? Just a few, but not too many. And I need to make sure that, that what I'm uh, uh, living somewhat looks different from the rest of the world. But I don't know what it means to walk in faith. It's kind of a, a fancy, churchy way of saying, be a Christian, and for most of us, we go, what does that look like? <laughs> do I have to be like Pastor Trey? No, <laughs> please don't. Well, I don't know, maybe a few more Kentucky fans wouldn't hurt. No, don't, you don't want to model just, just because you see a Christian person. You don't want to try to live exactly like them. Be you, it's okay. What does it look like then? How do we know what it means to walk in faith? And, and Paul then begins to unpack. To walk in faith, you have to understand the Word of God and know the truth. So the next thing he elaborates on is, if you want to walk in faith, you better know what a faithful life looks like, and there's no better place to find it than, oh, wait, maybe he mentioned it, than the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word. Look with me in in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition or culture, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul says you need to know very clearly what truth is so that when you come across this philosophy and empty deceit and human tradition and elemental spirits of the world, you can tell what's real and what's not. You must know truth above all else. You see, what what we find is Paul does not spend a lot of time telling us about this philosophy and empty deceit. We know what it is. It's, It's idol worship from other ways of studying, but, but Paul doesn't write about it here. If you'll notice, when we were reading it a minute ago, I said, back at the beginning was the first worldview. Paul then breaks out to a long aside, not to elaborate on the empty deceit, but to tell us what the truth is again. There's this, this interesting thing Hannah showed me not too long ago about a, a counterfeit $100 bill. Do you know how people tell the difference between a, a counterfeit $100 bill? They don't study all the counterfeits to see where the flaws are. They study what an authentic, real $100 bill looks like so that when they see a counterfeit, they know the differences. You don't study the fake one, you study the real one. And the same thing's true with our faith. Paul doesn't come and say, Let me tell you all the reasons why the empty deceit is wrong. He says, Let me tell you what the truth is so when it comes across, you'll know right from wrong. He goes to give us several things about Christ again. So you can follow along. These are going to be kind of quick fire things. You can look if you have your Bible open in front of you in verse 9. He says, Christ is fully God. You have to know, if you're worshiping anything, you better be worshiping God. Christ, in verse 9, is fully God. Verse 10, he says, Christ lives in you. You experience something different. There is a life change. Three, he says, Christ is your ultimate authority. Christ is the one who is in charge of everything not just your life but the entire world he made it in verse 11 he says he set you apart he made you different specifically he did that through a spiritual circumcision he's going to talk later about a physical circumcision that's not what's important anymore Christ set you apart he made you different you're not like the rest of the world In verse 12, he says he gave you a new life, and he talks about this baptism that shows your new life in Christ. You are no longer your old self. This is the authentic gospel. Christ, in verse 14, he paid for your sins. What a powerful set of verses that talk about not just that Christ died for you, but that he paid the penalty for you. It talks about the legal requirements you had because of your sin. You were rightly sentenced to hell, and Jesus Christ stepped in and paid the penalty. Then in verse 15, it says that Jesus Christ is the one who triumphs over all enemies, rulers, authorities, and every other idol you can worship. When you start trying to figure out what the real thing is and the fake thing is, you look at Colossians chapter 2, and you ask yourself, Is what I'm devoting my attention to fully God, living in me, My ultimate authority has set me apart, changed me, gave me a new life, paid for my sins, and triumphed over all of my enemies. If not, it's an idol. Don't worry about learning all the details of the culture and the fakeness of idolatry. Learn the gospel message and know who Christ is. Understand the Word of God. You don't know what it means to walk in faith? You've got to know what Scripture teaches. Don't base it off of how someone else is living, although there are a lot of great godly men and women to model. Only model them if you can confirm they are modeling Christ. We have to walk in an understanding, and that requires us knowing the gospel and knowing the word of God. If you want to be a faithful Christian, there is nothing you can do better than daily get in the word. Not daily listen to a sermon. Not daily read a devotional book. Not daily, um, open up some sort of inspirational quote, but every single day, open the Bible. Say, God, I need to know the source of truth. In that moment, you will learn about what authentic Christianity is. You will understand more, and you'll be able to walk better. And then finally, Paul tells us, when we're trying to figure out this balance in these combative worldviews, He reminds us that we are to walk in freedom. We are to walk in freedom. He reminds us that all of these rules and legalistic restrictions we put on ourselves aren't always a horrible thing, but can be bad when it becomes over Christ. That's why in verse 16 he says, Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or sabbath don't let anybody tell you that your worship if it's genuine and rooted in scripture and in the word of god don't let anyone tell you that your worship is inappropriate one of the things i really enjoy about our community worship services is that i get to see other churches worship in ways that we don't worship at good old first baptist church Typically, when we worship here, and I've talked with some of our praise team members, uh, we, as those of us on stage, focus on what we're singing and what we're doing in our worship of God. When we take our eyes off and sometimes focus on the room around us, it's hard because a lot of times, Baptists worship with their hands to their sides and their, their lips straight across, right? This is how this is the official how to worship as a Baptist pose, right? Uh, maybe you grab the pew in front of you sometimes, uh, but, but that's kind of how we, we worship. And by the way, it's okay if you're worshiping. I want you to know that. I'm not saying that because I look out and I go, you're not worshiping. I look out and go, there's just no movement. It's still. And that's, if you're worshiping, praise God. Don't let anyone tell you you can't worship that way. In these community services, I, I get to see other expressions of worship. We hosted one about a year ago, and there was a lady who came, and she said, um, I know this is a Baptist church, but is it okay if I stand in the back, and I've got my flags, and I just want to wave my flags as we worship. Is that okay? Psh- yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Are you worshiping? Well, yeah. You worship, right? By the way, we're not flag wavers here. We don't, have, we don't hand out flags. We're not running the aisles. We're not jumping up and down. We, we're not doing all these quote-unquote charismatic things. That's okay. But if someone is truly worshiping, do you care if they're dancing? If someone is truly worshiping, do you care if they, as a Baptist church, relax a little bit, if they sway? Is that Okay. <laughs> There's freedom in how we worship. You're not tied down to a particular way or style. This is where we answer some of those questions. Do we take the Lord's Supper once a month, Once a quarter, once a week? When do we do it? Jesus says, "Are you worshiping?" <laughs> are, are you remembering the way we've told you to remember? The only really way I tell you you're doing it wrong. Don't be so tied down to rules that Scripture doesn't put in place. Now, if Scripture says do it every week, then we better be doing it every week. When Scripture says as often as you do it, we're reminded we need to remember it as often as we do it. Don't put rules that aren't there, and don't let anyone pass judgment if you are walking in faith in an understanding of the Word. Now, the judgment comes when we step out of faith. The judgment appropriately comes when we step out of understanding the Word. When we start going against what the Word of God says, you better believe there should be brothers and sisters in Christ who come around and say, Scripture says do it differently. So, in that mind, if you are walking in faith and an understanding of the gospel, live and walk in freedom. We are notorious for putting rules and regulations on worship services having to do with how you dress, having to do with where you sit having to do with, with what type of church you belong to. Bless her heart, I remember an elderly lady at a previous church who went up to a new couple and said, did you guys come from a nice Southern Baptist church? You know, what a great way to introduce someone to your church, right? Are you also like us and just like us? And they said, no, we came from a Christian church down the street, thank you very much. It's not about the labels, it's not about the rules, it's not about all of the ifs, ands, or buts, it's about the freedom in worship. Let no one tell you how you should worship. Here's what all of these rules do. All of these rules and regulations that are outside of Scripture that we put on ourselves and on people, they make us feel good about ourselves. They they make us think that we're doing something good or faithful. So, for instance, if you set a personal rule, I'm going to read the Bible for half an hour every day for a month. By the way, that's a great rule to put in place. Give it a shot. I would, I would encourage you to do that. But you make it a rule, right? And you miss a day and you just beat yourself up. I can't believe I missed yesterday. I'm going to try to catch up an hour today because I've got to follow the rule. You put the rule in place at the end of the 30 days. You probably have grown in your faith some, but you also probably have been so stressed out to get that 30 minutes in. So overwhelmed that you can't remember half of what you read because you were just trying to get through the 30 minutes. Paul tells us exactly what these rules and these regulations do. They make us feel good about ourselves, but they ultimately don't bring us to Christ. Look with me in verse 23. These rules have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Now think about that for just a second. The rules have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, that is, holier-than-thou attitude, and severity of the body, discipline, They make us feel good about ourselves and they look good to the outside world. But, he says, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The rules that we put on ourselves that scripture does not put can help us in our walk. But they're not what saves us. They're not going to keep us from falling and sinning. What keeps us from falling and sinning is, is knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. is walking in faith and understanding of his word. So you know what? I encourage you to have a daily reading plan. And when you miss a day, understand that there's freedom. Understand that tomorrow you don't have to catch up. Today, you just have to be faithful. Don't set a time of, I'm going to read for 30 minutes and get through three chapters. Instead, just say, God, I'm going to spend some time in your word until you teach me something. And so it may take you 20 minutes to get through a few verses because it's just not clicking and you need to understand, more. Lord, what are you saying here? And you you may set it down and pray, Lord, can you help me? And, And you may spend... 20 minutes on a few verses or you may read through three four chapters in a 10 minute span because you're a fast reader read to understand god's word not to to check a box off we have a freedom in how we live and how we worship the important thing is not whether we put the rules in place the important thing is do you know the gospel of jesus christ Are you walking in faithfulness? Do you know what the Word of God says? And are you striving to live out what God teaches us? Walk in freedom. This morning, as we we wrap up our message on Colossians chapter 2, we understand there's a danger of polarity, of two different pendulum swings. And can I challenge you to avoid the extremes? Can I challenge you to focus less on whether or not you're doing all of the rules? Focus less on whether or not you have all of the check boxes marked in and focus on do I know the gospel message and am I following the word of God? Walk in faith. Live what you were saved to be. Know the word of God so you know how you're to live and then follow Christ according to that word, according to his truth. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we we read of the issues they have in Colossae, we're reminded that that we too have a tendency to to gravitate towards licentiousness. That is, I'm going to live how I want to live. I don't want any rules or regulations stopping me. Or we gravitate towards, Lord, I'm going to put so many rules in place that that I'm going to keep myself from sinning somehow. Lord, let us remind ourselves that the focus doesn't need to be on rules or lack of rules. The focus needs to be on your gospel. Lord, let us examine not all of the regulations or all of the culture. Let us examine the truth of the gospel message that you, God, sent your Son, fully God, Jesus Christ, so that you could die in my place. Lord, I thank you that you've removed sin from my life. Or the simple gospel message is just, I don't have to pay for my wrongdoing and sin, that you did that. Lord, help me to live that out. Help me to live in the freedom that you've given me through the cross of Christ, and let me do it according to your word. Father, make us people who understand and walk in faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen.